0: The vision in front of you is a goal or a dream or something that's not real. But you have experience in your life behind you that shows you where you can tweak it, and you can prove it.
1: All right, we're here today with Kim White on the Gravity Podcast. Kim, as a track athlete who had won national and international titles, was training for for selection in the 1992 Australian Olympic team and he noticed that despite everything being controlled in his preparation sleep food and regimen his performance could change depending on the hotel room where he slept the night before he raced he found that the environment could have a positive or negative impact on his race performance In 1993, Kim received his bachelor's degree in business administration from Northern Arizona University, where he was attending on an athletic scholarship. He achieved many awards while at university, including Academic All-American for cross country in 1991. Kim moved to California to continue his studies in kinesiology and in the body-mind connection. This is where he met his spiritual teacher, Victor Barron. Victor taught him spiritual healing using many ancient shamanic methods while having God and Jesus Christ as the core foundation of all of his work. He taught Kim ways to energetically clear and change the environment to align with his clients' goals, as well as how he could remove their pain and blockage. In April 1994, Kim moved back to Australia to continue his practice in Perth. Kim has been consulting as an energy and business coach and is a space clearer for over 27 years for clients across 35 countries. He continues his studies with Victor Barron to improve his abilities and increase his spiritual strength so he can help more people. Kim is Dan Sullivan and Bab Smith's energy coach from Strategic Coach after they noticed a transformation in one of their key team members' lives in 2006. Kim is also an author of three books, and we are... Very happy to have you here. Kim, welcome. It's great. it's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm uh, looking forward to kind of getting into your full history and sharing your story uh, with the audience. I've gotten a chance to know you and work with you and I'm a big fan of what you're doing. Um, and as, as you know, on the Gravity Podcast, we're trying to really share everybody's full journey um, before we kind of get into the success you're having and where you've landed, so if you don't mind, maybe kind of sharing a little bit about those kind of early childhood days, your upbringing, and kind of um, how maybe that's uh, started to inform your uh, your journey.
0: Yeah, sure. So uh, I was born in Perth, Australia, and uh, just after I was born, uh, the family moved up north to a very remote location, which was Exmouth. Uh, and this was the Northwest Cape where the US had their VLF uh, submarine communication station. And my dad worked for them in the telecommunications. Uh, and so the first five years was just a wonderful time living in a small town in the middle of nowhere. Very small population, probably less than 10,000. And uh, then my parents decided that it would be good for me to go to school back in the big city. So we moved back to Perth. Uh, when I was five and then enrolled back in school, back into school. Uh, And basically, I lived at home for 12 years through my schooling, up through to high school. And it's probably the longest I've lived in one place my whole life. So it was a great experience, uh, lots of hardship, a lot of uh, problems. And I guess it's really funny, my parents were not spiritual and they were not religious because of their upbringing was too much. For them, but they still gave us the foundation of where, you know, uh doing the right thing, you know, following good rules and and they were quite strict around that. But there was something deep inside of me that would pull me towards church. It was very, very something really deep. So I'd jump on my bike and I'd ride up to the church every Sunday and go to mass or and eventually become an altar boy. But it, my parents were like, what are you doing this for? You know, And it's like, well, I don't know. I just have to do it. And so that was very interesting in the early days. And then they sent me to a high school that was that was a Catholic school, and which was an amazing experience for me because it was a long way from home. So I had to travel like half an hour or so every day on the buses. And it was 95% Italian, the school population. And I was Australian. So suddenly I was a minority in in a country that where I uh, was a majority. And so that was a great experience about learning to be small in a big, big society. And the Italians are very expressive in their ways and it was a great experience. And I continued my my delving into connecting with God and I had a very big uh, situation happen where my father, we didn't know, was very sick for many years. And it was really... One night I was praying to God. I said, God, what is wrong with my dad? What is wrong with my dad? And it was something very weird. So through that praying, the next day he goes to his doctor because he was always going to try and improve his health. And basically the doctor looked at him and said, you're not going home. You're going straight into the hospital. We've got to check you out. And they found he had a massive brain tumor. And this had completely changed his personality. He already lost his sense of smell like five years before. It was completely gone and he wouldn't believe us when we would I remember once we we're on a holiday and we we're traveling in the car and we could smell gasoline in the in the car. And we're telling him, you know, that there's gasoline. And because of this brain tumor, his personality was really like violent and aggressive and so forth. So he didn't believe us. And finally we we proved it to him because we found it in the back of the car. It was back, back of the station wagon. It was all leaking everywhere. And then that's when he started the journey of trying to find out why he couldn't smell. Anyway, so it was really weird because once they removed the tumour, basically went to hospital and didn't come home till the weekend, that was it. And it was like, who is this guy? When he came back, the the transformation in his personality was night and day. It was like, I remember my sister and I were laughing so much because we didn't know who this man was. He was so kind and gentle from being this very aggressive, abusive Personality.
1: Interesting. So, yeah. So, how old were you when when that happened?
0: I was in uh, junior high. So, uh-huh. uh, yeah, when that happened.
1: And so, kind of up until that point, you had mentioned hardships and challenges. You know, when you were young, it was was part of his way of being. You, you described it as you know abusive. Is that? what you were referring to in the hardship and and yes. talk a little bit about kind of how that challenged you as a child i just i ended up going really into a shell
0: and the only freedom i had was when i was at school so i'd be with my friends and so forth then coming home i would just shrink into a shell and what's interesting is looking back now i understand i was very sensitive anyway as a child like I would go into different situations, whether it was homes or uh, environments, and I would be really quiet in the corner and other places you couldn't shut me up because I was just so exuberant and having fun. And of course, looking back now, I understand what I was feeling was the, the spaces, the environments and the people. Uh, but ha- then having this added pressure with my dad, uh, it was really pulling pulling myself in more and more and more, which is which was fascinating because I started to pull in the energies around me as well. So everything was more heightened in my sensitivity.
1: Mm-hmm. and And I'm just curious, you know, because because knowing the work that you do and some of the conversations we've had, and you mentioned kind of your parents' upbringing and and that they weren't um really allowed to bring faith or religion or spirituality into their practice your dad's way of being I'm assuming this is generational there's a generation before him that leads him on this path and 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 you know kind of the what comes up for me is just like the divinity in it all that you know he makes this shift after getting sick but mm-hmm. this is a generational um pattern right the the kindness yes the other side no that was because of the tumor
0: was, because even the, his up, his parents, his sisters couldn't understand why he was behaving this way. Nobody knew.
1: Interesting. Okay, so I misunderstood that. So he actually grew up in a um, in a in a loving household. Yeah. I mean, yeah, interesting. And then he um, got sick, and the tumor really was what was causing him to yeah, behave yeah. that way. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah, I got it. So- okay. And so, talk a little bit about kind of then what happens. Your dad comes home in this in this kind of new way of being. I mean, how does that uh, impact you at that point?
0: It was weird, let me tell you. And this is like heading towards uh, watching him change over those couple of years towards the end of high school. It was like, who is this guy? You know, and he's like mm. trying to support me in my goals and my passions. And uh, you know, since I was a little kid, I wanted to be an architect. So he was like, oh, let's go down to the architecture store and buy some really good pens. Like he was just and. Mm. Can we study or let let's see if we can get you some internships to learn about the like it was like who is this guy you know he mm-hmm. would never spend any time with me before that that's mm. interesting yeah.
1: yeah so so then tell me a little bit about how that starts to change your life I mean you 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 know well describe- because of
0: that experience you know I couldn't wait to get out of home right mm-hmm. so but before I even finished high school I left I moved in with a friend to finish my high school and. And then I got into partying and totally left my spiritual side of my life gone. And I just and I wanted to go to I went to university, um, studying architecture, and I was like, ah, man, I was just too I was just right in the party mode.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And co- coincidentally, at that time, now I'd been running since I was seven. My parents got me into uh, like like little league for running for track and field, mm-hmm. and I was a just a nobody. And so I was just like loving having the sport as a background. And I was, I was always the little guy. So I was never making any teams or anything like that. And then when I was in college uh, in Australia, I bumped into a guy who really said, Hey, you're Kim White. I want you to run for my team. I'm like, I was actually quite drunk in a bar on Friday at lunchtime, which you do as a student. And uh, I was like, Who are you? You know, sort of thing. And uh, anyway, we, we still have a great friendship to this day. Um, that was back in '84. And he introduced me to running in a different way and introduced me to coaching. And knowing my Colby, I really thrive when I'm following a system. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so,
1: of, so let, let me just uh, interject there. So you were running as a kid, and it sounds like that was just like for fun, hobby, something you liked to do because you yeah. weren't really uh, excelling on teams. Right, so running was just something that was pleasure for you.
0: Yeah, I tried football. I tried to team team sports, but because of my size, I was so short, I couldn't get on any teams. Whereas mm-hmm. running is an individual thing; I could do it. No one could stop me, sort of doing it. And, and I would, and I would come last, and you know, it was like just the way it was.
1: So, I what just, was it about you that the coach really saw that said, "Hey, you know, come run for my team"? Uh, he, well, he, this, this is the buddy of mine. He introduced
0: me to a coach okay. who said, um, he basically, the coach actually said, you know, my friend Barry said, this guy's got potential. He could see a potential in me. Got it. And so he introduced me to this coach and the coach was like, yeah, all right, let's see. Uh, he can come and run with my son and be a, you know, like a, a a, a horse for my son to train with sort of thing. <laughs> and but then. Like I was last in my state as a runner, and then within six weeks, he put me up and I ended up being sixth in the nation. Wow, just from the training It
1: was phenomenal. interesting interesting. so before we get into that too much, I just I want to kind of like you know put a little bow on kind of this this childhood experience that propels you forward. so yeah I'm hearing that you were you were ready to get out of the house, mm. um, but you had this kind of like shift. Before you did, where your dad became like super loving and supportive and and how would you kind of like reconcile all of that as you're like in the college party years, were you in the kind of like that's just what you do, you were happy to be out of the house mm-hmm. or was there still some kind of trauma that you were navigating and and I'm just curious how then you know the running starts to really uh, maybe in some ways, be part of a healing process. It, it
0: totally was a healing process because it suddenly brought me out of myself more and more. Mm-hmm. I would just run for fun. And it was probably as a great stress reliever from what I was growing up, uh, going through. And yet, when I started to excel and get the accolades you know, on the national level, uh I started to meet more people, and so it bring me out more and more and more. So it was very much a healing instead of c- coming from this shell where I was closed in to more of out to expand to the world.
1: Yeah, uh, and yeah. I want to talk cool. a little bit about the the coach and the and and how he got you to perform like that at that level. But but you know, I just want to kind of click on this healing idea for mm-hmm. um, physical movement. I also am a runner. I used to run marathons and I found that the training more than the marathon itself, but both the experience was very helpful for me to move energy. And uh, it can be consuming and at times maybe it was um, too consuming. But I felt like at the time, and still to this day, I've learned that physical movement is a big part of how I move energy. And it's it's really profoundly helpful to me in my physical and mental life. And maybe you could just speak to that, you know, as a form of kind of energy moving. The idea of you know the physical aspect and and how that was uh, helping you and and how it helps others. Sure. Um, well, there's two parts on that. The first part is is the
0: physical expression with the running was releasing all the partying from my body. So that was, it does do that. Yep. That was a really good benefit and also it gave me something to focus on because I, I love to meet someone for a run. So it was like, oh, I look forward to it. It's like something to go to. It's almost an, another form of partying but with, on a positive note and, uh, and while I was studying. And then the other side is when, we, uh, when I look at the spiritual growth of humans, I mean, if we spend too much time in the spiritual and don't balance with the physical, we can go out of balance. And so I think the physical is so important to look after. I remember in my early days with kinesiology, I would work with transforming the belief systems with a client, but I would then I would say, hey, but you need a deep tissue massage or you need to do this sort of uh, exercise program to balance the the transformation on the mental or the emotional and the spiritual side with the physical so that you can't become one piece going forward instead of getting way out of balance. Does that make sense? It does, so, yeah. So it's yeah. very important to have that balance. Uh, and if we think too much, and especially with our, our world where we're always in our minds, we, if we don't balance with the body, we get really out of uh, out of sync with the with with reality. And it can put us out of our even to the point where our spirit leaves our body, and we're wondering why we can't function in realities because we lost the grounding. So yeah. it's so important to have that balance with the grounding and the spiritual.
1: Yeah, yeah and and I will get back to the kind of mind body connection and how this all um, really is your work. This is what you mm-hmm. do. Um, but talk to me a little bit about kind of this coach he discovers you. You know you're. You're the potential kid, and and all of a sudden, in six weeks, yeah, you're now uh, sixth highly, in the nation. Sixth yeah. in the nation, yeah. Talk what? What happened? What did he do? What? He how did was, he teach you that?
0: He is one of the most He's still the greatest coach I've ever had in all the years of training because he was so different. One thing he developed. Oh, I developed respect for him. Like if it was pouring out with rain, he wouldn't sit undercover and direct us from from undercover. He'd be in the middle of the field in the rain working with us. He wouldn't leave us on it. And that was a huge respect uh, because I'd seen so many coaches hiding under umbrellas or under pavilions, you know, staying out of the rain, and yet he was out there. And he was always giving us radical, radical training. Like we would do sand hills, running up sand dunes with army boots on, singing the national anthem as loud as we could. I mean, just <laughs> totally exhaust our lungs, our legs, everything. Mm-hmm. So that we, so we know the limits of our body, and the limits of our physical abilities, mm. and we'd be out in the in the bush running, and all of a sudden we'd hear a. The instruction was run in a straight line, even if we have to jump over the bushes or through trees or whatever. And then when you hear the whistle, turn right, and you'd keep you'd just be running in this in the bush, and just listening for a whistle. And then mm. when you get the whistle, you'd change direction. Very mm. radical. I mean, who does that? You know? So right, it wasn't like right. sitting on a track. So he would give us really interesting workouts that made running fun and painful at the same time, which gave us results.
1: Mm-hmm. So really so it was a lot of just hard, hard work pushing you mentally and physically as, as hard as you could to get to the result.
0: Yeah. And my
1: greatest strength as an athlete at my highest level was
0: my mind. And I believe a lot of that came through his training.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's talk about that. You you do end up training for selection in the 1992 Australian Olympic team. Um, talk about the experience of, of being on an Olympic team. Okay. So I didn't actually make it.
0: A week before the Olympic trials, I got an uh-huh. injury, a career-ending uh, wow. injury. Wow. So and what what I know now which would be might be interesting for your listeners the reason all through my career even when I was a little kid I loved to improve so I was constantly improving on my performances every week and I was loving that constant improvement and something happened in the early 90s where I changed my attitude and started going for a goal that was way out in front of me which was the Olympic Olympic gold medal and so I lost that connection with constant improvement, which is my strength. And so suddenly that caused injuries. I started having problems because I took the focus off my growth onto this external goal that was uh, too much, was too out mm-hmm. of balance and I lost mm-hmm. myself. So I couldn't feel my body when it needed rest. I couldn't feel it when it needed attention. And so this was a really big learning for me as to Kate. Ca- my strength was always to keep that improvement
1: going and not to focus on something outside of myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, thing, uh, really amazing learning because there is this kind of training that you are receiving and this tendency with you know really highly driven people to want to just work hard. That hard work will be the answer. And sometimes there's such a thing as overworking yourself you know, and, and, and anything you do physically or mentally, um, or being out of balance in any area. I I, I know we both um, are big fans of, of Dan Sullivan. And, you know, he he likes to say that, you know, an electric car has to be charged before you drive it.
0: Mm-hmm. That You
1: don't wait till it runs out of uh, energy to charge it. You charge it first and then you drive. And so, um, you know, I'm hearing kind of you're learning that there's a need to kind of have that balance and listening to the body. Yeah. How much of this comes from the intelligence of the body? Yeah, because I remember I
0: would get up, I'd sneak out at five thirty in the morning and do a workout before our morning practice at six thirty. You know, I was doing double double dipping on the training because I'd, oh, I've got to get to that level. I've got to get to level, but not listening to my body and listening to what was right when I needed to rest more or or to to take it easy, it was that, mm-hmm. like you said, it's constant drive to push towards a goal. Instead of enjoying the journey, uh, I, I really believe I wouldn't have got injured if I had just followed my original plan of improving every week.
1: Well, so talk about how then the 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 not making the team, the injury, the career ending injury, um, ends up being the probably more valuable learning, right? I mean, I know that's a tough pill to swallow to be that close, you know, but to learn what you've learned, you know, pretty pretty powerful, tough to come by learning. Uh, Talk a little bit about what you learned there. Well,
0: exactly like you're saying, this was really the instigator for my present career because I started to ask the question because the injury was so freak. It just happened like without... Doing something, it was obviously an overuse injury, but uh, it just happened so suddenly that it wasn't like I, I hurt myself; it just happened. And so I went on this journey to search: why did I get injured? How did this happen? And that took me down that realm with the kinesiology and studying the mind-body connection and and how it was uh, it was being influenced. Uh, and so I started studying the kinesiology. And it was interesting because everything that I, the guy who actually won my race at the Olympics ran the exact same plan that I had been practicing in my mind for about two years before the Olympics. It was like, mm. okay, so I knew it was working. It was mm. just me that was in the way. And so I started to, uh, and I was also training with a guy who was also injured, who went, up, went along and won the Olympic gold for another event. A uh, guy from Germany It was like, wow. So I was in the right environment. I just wasn't in the right, Headspace or whatever focus space, so I was okay with it, and I started to I put my energy into discovering how did it happen, and then a year later, it was a Saturday afternoon. I remember it, and I was just like watching a bit of TV, and then the World Championships came on, and all the guys who I used to beat were running there. It was in Stuttgart, in Germany, and like talk about a volcano of emotion that came out in that moment. Uh, it just really. Like it was so devastating, I finally felt the grief of loss of a year later of losing that chance, the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Um, so I made it a mission to get back into shape and find out even deeper why did it happen. Mm-hmm. And this was great because I discovered a genetic emotional belief structure that was actually created all these problems in my body. And what it was is my great-great-grandfather, through the kinesiology, through the muscle testing, finding out the origin of a problem, when he moved his family from Ireland to Australia because of the potato famine, there was a lot of emotional stress. And that had been passed down to his son, to my grandfather, to my father, and then on to me. Hmm. And so what was happening was when I would race, if I like when I ran the sub four-minute mile, I did it basically on my own. Yet, if we put me in a race with someone else who was international, because a lot of the guys I was racing were from all over the world, my muscles would contract because of this belief from this genetic belief. So I couldn't get a full stride length and my lungs would be smaller because of this contraction that I couldn't breathe fully. And so my times were slower and I could never work it out. And this was all discovered through this kinesiology that this genetic pattern had had limited my performance.
1: Okay, so I, I've got to slow you down and back up a little bit because you said a lot there. Um, starting with the fact that you ran a sub four minute mile, which isn't something just to pass over, um, but also the kinesiology. I think it's important for people to understand maybe a little bit if you can kind of in like simple terms, what is this study? And 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 you know what I'm hearing is this like phenomenally intricate connection of mind and body that gets programmed and carried forward generationally based on environment and maybe you know epigenetics and DNA. I mean, I, I'm not exactly sure the science of it, but maybe you can try to explain that a little sure. bit for the listener.
0: So kinesiology is the science of muscular movement. And what I did was take it to the next level was, How does the mind or the emotions affect muscular movement? And how, like I was saying, like if you imagine if you go uh, to something that's frightening, like standing at the edge of a cliff or something, your muscles will contract because of the visual input coming through. You see where you're at standing on the side of a cliff, so your muscles are going to contract to try and save yourself. If you live in a state of constant stress, your muscles are constantly contracted, so you can't be your full self. And with the kinesiology, there's a series of working with the different muscles or working with the mind to release that connection so that when you stand in front of that situation and where it's the side of the cliff, you still have the normal level of fear and being cautious, but you don't have any muscle contraction so you can move away. Mm-hmm. And so that was the science I was doing is how can we change the the physiological reaction to a scenario or a situation so that you can have that peace and that freedom in the muscles and make moves to protect yourself. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it, it's I've, I've kind of heard Dan and others describe it as um, sometimes, you know, like electricity. We, we don't know exactly how it works. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're not all electricians and, and, and knowledgeable about the, the intricacies of how the lights come on. Um, but they do, we use them. And, and I think, you know, for me, that's been a bit of um, kind of the way that I've um, gotten to appreciate your work. I don't necessarily need to know all of the specifics of how it works. It just works. Yeah. You know, and that's not easy enough for some. Some people, you know, if you look at the Colby, which you, you and I both are fans of, if you're a high fact finder, you want to know more. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a high quick start. So, you know, it, it's like, oh, well. Works for Dan. Let me give this a try. Yeah, thanks, oh, wow. Man. That feels good. You know, it works for me. You know, uh, don't need to know anymore. But talk a little bit about how you do work with people, how you've now kind of taken this learning and for the last 27 years become your own coach, consultant, um, both not just with the energy work, but how that's tying into people's work and their lives. So what's what, when I started with the kinesiology, I had a practice in
0: West LA and I started having these clients come to me and talk to me about this spiritual healer who was in LA that I should see. And I just sort of like, yeah, yeah, whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. So one day I actually went to, uh, it took about nine months to actually of this constant barrage. And the final straw was it was actually a Catholic priest, one of my clients who actually said to me, hey... You've got to see this healer. He's going to help you. I was like, "What? Well, all right, I'll go. So I go to see this guy and I have no idea what a spiritual healer is, right? I'm thinking there's going to be this guy with white flowing robes and, you know, turbans. I had no idea, completely unaware. And I rock up and Victor was there and he's wearing jeans and a t-shirt. I'm like, what? You're the healer? And so I'm like, okay, let me give this a go. Check you out. The, the experience I had was so transformational that I had to know more. My scientific brain couldn't understand and justify what happened to me. So like that was it. I had to know more. So I started to study the, the uh, spirituality and mix it with my kinesiology. And what I found was that, obviously, since I was a child with a sensitivity, I didn't need the kinesiology. I already had it naturally. But I had to go that route to get the scientific side, like saying, "Hey, this is real," to the point where um, I could actually trust my intuition and so forth. So I just, when I had, I moved back to Australia, I set up my practice with the kinesiology, and then about a year later, Victor actually came to Australia, and I started working with him again. And I was like, you know what? This is the truth for me. I have to follow this path of being a spiritual healer. So that was it. I said, I'm going to be a spiritual healer now. And like that, my business disappeared overnight. It was mm-hmm. like suddenly everyone thought I'd lost the plot. Are you crazy? What's going on? You know, you were so good and now you're doing all this spiritual mumbo jumbo crap.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, uh, but I said, no, I have to do it. And so it was a struggle for about seven years where I just worked and just kept developing my uh, spiritual strength to be able to help people. and meanwhile I'm working in a bar at night to put food on the table you know doing everything I can just to make it work and not go back to the old ways. Uh, and it worked because eventually I got uh, written up in the newspaper and a uh, full page article and that was it. I was like on going around the world from there. So I found a way using my athletic background, my kinesiology training, and the spiritual to develop my own way of helping people. And the way I do it is is I get, because I understand how the mind-body connection is, I get the person to think of the situation that is causing them stress or causing them anxiety. And then seeing how they feel. Now, people describe, well, my back is tight or my shoulders or my belly is really uh, uncomfortable or my chest is really tight. So they go through a whole analysis or a diagnostic for themselves of how their body is Responding to their current situation, then through the, the healing modalities I use to extract the blockages, then they recheck afterwards and they feel totally relaxed. It's like well, it does. Or in some cases, they can't even remember what the problem was. It's like completely gone. Mm. So that we've removed the blockage, so the energy can flow through the body and the mind again, nice and smooth. Mm. And and really, this happened. I remember one back in the early because of being an athlete, very wanting to win and wanting my clients to win, I had this client and she, after the session, she said to me, you know, I just spent 10 years in therapy on this issue and you got rid of it in one hour. (laughs) And I was like, what? And of course, I was so naive. I didn't understand about therapy or whatever. And I was like, why would anyone spend 10 years in therapy? So it was like, I was like, that was it. My goal back then was I can do this in an hour. I want to get it to 10 minutes. And that was the whole driving focus. How can I help my clients in 10 minutes? And to get rid of a problem completely out of their life, that was the ultimate goal. So I developed this system where I could actually go in and extract the blockage from the person, whether it was in their mind, in their body, in their energy field, in their spirit, wherever it is, so that they could get closer to their freedom and peace. And then I always believe if you're feeling peaceful, you can get closer to God. You can get closer to the great spirit. And then you can get closer to your authentic self. What gifts do you have to give to the world? What can you give to the world uh, so that you have a great life? You know, like Dan talks about unique ability. What is your unique ability and how to make that real in your life? So that's sort of how I worked, how I developed. Yeah, and it's,
1: it's one of those things because, you know, again, I think that depending on kind of where you are and your experience and your exposure and you know i'm here in columbus ohio and you know the ideal idea of you know healers and spiritual healers and energy healers isn't probably as prevalent as it is in california or other parts of the world it's it's emerging people are starting to accept it but with your work you don't really have to accept it. Like we were saying, you don't really have to um, even believe in it. It's 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 an interesting thing, right? That people can be skeptical, they can um, doubt it, but you can work on them and remove the blockage regardless of where they are, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I guess thanks thanks to my scientific background and my results
0: focus with the running, I was able to let the client have the they could self-observe what was like before and what was like after. So it's not like they're having a massage where they feel nice and relaxed. No, there's actually a dramatic change in their life as a result of doing the work with me. And I'm working, and my actual, my biggest talent is with properties. So having a property that won't sell and then I come in and clear it, clear the blockage and then it sells the next day. It's like well, it, was, it was nothing to do with the property. It was just a blockage that was stopping the sale from going through. And so that's how having that sort of evidence gave the credibility to, well, I don't understand how it works, but it just works. Let's just do Mm -hmm. it. That's what people said. Well, I don't need to know how it works. Let me just get the results. Mm. Yeah.
1: Get the benefit. Yeah. It's really great. So uh, talk a little bit about kind of how you're working now with people I know that you're working you know extensively with Dan and Babs and other executives Tell me a little bit about kind of the the total offering and coaching practice that you've now landed on so i I do most of my work with Zoom or
0: Skype mm-hmm. um, at the moment I used to fly all around the world and then as the technology became available I started to work remotely, which was great. So I was able to get the result uh, through through the electronic medium, which is fantastic. And then um, I've just started working, thanks to COVID, I've just started working on uh, doing one-to-many, just setting up webinars, setting up group healings where I can actually do more than one. I've been preparing myself for about 10 years to get to a point where I could actually do more than one person at the same time. And so I've been developing that where people can sign up for a, for a group healing, come and have the experience and then feel the difference afterwards or the one-on-one like like we're talking about. And then yeah. I'll fly, I'll do some properties remotely as well and others like me to fly out and work right on the property and, and, mm-hmm. and do the work there or working with a, uh, a sort of a leadership team and a company to get, the, get everyone in line with the goal of the company. Mm-hmm. So... And with the properties, it's like if someone has a like if there's a a business that has a goal they want to achieve a certain goal, I check to make sure the property energy is in line with that goal. Because sometimes it's the opposite, Mm -hmm. and so removing every everything that's in the way allows the company to move forward in the direction of where they want to go, Mm -hmm. instead of having to fight against
1: like a fight
0: against a brick wall or a big boulder in the way.
1: Yeah, clear that out. Yep, yeah, I, I think it's great. It's it's one of these things you just have to kind of surrender into and and kind of let go and and see what happens. And you know, having done some work with you, I've found it to be very helpful. And um, clearing, I think, is kind of the word that really you know most comes to mind. It's very clearing to have um, that kind of energetic work done. And I know that you haven't uh, let the running, escape your life entirely. You were in Vienna, right? Uh, or yeah, talk a little bit about kind of the uh, Vienna uh, experience uh, last year as the uh, two-hour barrier was broken.
0: Yeah. yeah, that was amazing. It was probably the greatest um, athletic experience I've ever attended, where I was in in actually in the city uh, when it happened and leading up to it. Uh, I'd planned to be in, back in Canada and, and I was like, no, no, I have to be here for this. And just the atmosphere and, and the experience of that event where uh, Elio Kichogi broke the two-hour barrier, it wasn't a race, it was a, a staged event to see if it was possible that a human could run that fast. And so basically he ran the whole way on his own and he had paces drop in every three miles or so to help him. And they would interchange, the paces would interchange. And it was funny, we were there like at early morning and there's probably about 5,000 people watching all the you know hardcore runners getting, getting ready for the race. And the city actually put it on live TV to watch it. And people were waking up in the morning and suddenly by the end of two hours, there was over 120,000 people on the course. It was like everyone wanted to be part of it. It was just like the whole city came together and everyone would come down to watch this event. It was phenomenal, mm-hmm. and of course he did it. He broke it by twenty seconds, the two-hour barrier, and it was, it was yeah, as I said, one of the greatest experiences I've ever had as as a at an athletic event.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned this as it pertained to your own running. The the gentleman that um, ran your plan, I think, is what you said. Um, I'm just curious, kind of how much of it is about the plan. I mean, I know in Vienna, that was like an incredibly orchestrated. Yes, it was. I, I, I was told that you know there was a very clear line on the ground he needed to follow and the mm-hmm. pacers and the hydration and the nutrition and the 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 every little tiny detail that went in to making that come to life. Talk a little bit about kind of how the plan. And the execution of the plan marry up with then this like physical side, which, um, you know, the physical and mental side, I guess, the energy piece, and how those two are really critical to achieve whatever it is that you're trying to achieve.
0: So uh, it's so important to know where you're going. Otherwise, it's like if you have a a boat and you're out in the ocean and you don't have a rudder, you're going to go anywhere. Or if, what was that expression? Uh, if you don't know where you're going, you'll end up there. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: so, so it's like always having a plan. And once you have the plan where you want to go, uh, and I always, I always look at uh, through my learning, through my running, is that you have a goal that you're aiming for, but you're always measuring back to where you've come and how you can improve what you've done before because that's real. The, the vision in front of you is a, a goal or a dream or something that's not real. But you have experience in your life behind you that shows you where you can tweak it and you can improve it, heading in that direction. So you still have the aim on the goal, but you don't and this was what I learned from my mistakes back in my running career with the injury, is if you focus always on the goal, you you can get in you can get injured. Get have mm. problems. Whereas if you focus on the goal and measure everything you've done up to now, and how can I tweak this to improve it? All this constant improvement. You'll keep moving towards that goal without mm. being uh, too crazy. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So it's so it important does. to have that to use that experience in your own life. Uh, it's like people saying to me, "Well, I want to create this new team member on my team, and and uh, this is the ideal person I want to have." I'll say, "Well, what have you got in the past?" Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, but that was, if you don't accept where you're at, how can you go somewhere in the future? If you're mm-hmm. in a in a, a town that you don't know and you want to go somewhere, you've got to know where you are to find the map to get there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so important that you, you always
1: accept where you're at before you go somewhere else.
0: Mm-hmm. And I learned That's that through great. the
1: kinesiology as well. It's great learning. Good. So, Kim, talk to me a little bit about kind of what the future looks like. Tell me a little bit about kind of where you're headed. I know you said you're going to be making a stop in Columbus. Are you um, kind of out there traveling now again and and, um, and expanding your work? Yeah, I've,
0: uh, I've been shut down, obviously, like everyone for the last couple of months. And my startup, I always felt from even before COVID hit that something was going to happen and that things would start opening in July. So that's, uh, the, the timing is, uh, is really good. And I've got a job out there that came out of the blue. Someone who has uh, their home is full of ghosts. And mm-hmm. Columbus has a history of, uh, of lots of ghosts, you know, from early starts from the Civil War and so forth. So, so But they want me to be on site. So I'm going to start flying next week and do a, do a clearing on the building there uh, to get rid of, to do the ghost busting. Uh, and uh, then I'll start looking for there. I've got a client in Denmark. Uh, his, his hobby is he buys castles and fixes them up. He always gets me in to clean, clean the castles uh, before he does all the renovations, make sure there's nothing left over from the past, and I'll be out there in, uh, in August as well. So I'm heading back to Europe to work over there. That's a lot of fun. That's awesome. Uh, yeah.
1: So yeah, Good, getting back bud. on the road again. Awesome. Well, good. It's uh, it's great to have you on the show and uh, hear uh, your journey. And I love uh, the opportunity to work with you and, and hopefully I'll see you here on your visit. Any kind of final thoughts or anything that you want to share with the audience where they can find you or anything else that's coming to mind? Sure. They can find me through my website, kimwhitecoaching.com. I always recommend to people
0: to... The mind is a powerful tool. But it's not everything. The t- mind is like a computer that we use to, um, to work things out. The heart is so important. So mm. I'm actually doing a, uh, a group healing coming up next month in July to help people to open their hearts so they have more of that connection to their, their soul, their spirit, and their truth. And so this can help them to hear their intuition a lot better so that they can have a great life. So use the brain for the science and the accounting and everything, but use the heart for guidance through life. So mm-hmm. that's the big advice I give people.
1: That's wonderful. Good. Well, count me in for the group healing. It sounds awesome. Right. All right, Kim. Well, thanks again for joining us. Uh, awesome to see you and and talk to you today and look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you. appreciate the invite. Thank you. All right. Much. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Gravity Podcast. Please subscribe to the show at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the entire Gravity Project, please go to gravityproject.com. Please check out the podcast on Instagram at the Gravity Podcast. Music heard of the show is provided courtesy of Kyle Lamoro and Oliver Oak.